To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? I uh, got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. Um, so today's episode, it's one I've been sitting on for a while, but I'm really eager to share it with you guys. It's its just a great episode. Um, so I went over to the Eastman's office, and we get uh, Guy and Dan Bacar on the recording, and they're talking all about their Tajikistan hunt, which was just this amazing adventure they had over there. And, and we also get Ike to sit in on the conversation, so it's the four of us. And, and any time you can get the, the Eastman brothers together, it, it's a really good time. We, um, you know, they, they cut up and joke around a little bit and poke fun at each other. So it's, ju- it's just a really fun conversation, having all four of us there, and, and then just hearing them break down this adventure they had with um, damp car getting getting altitude sickness and being on death's door and um, you know spitting up blood and I it was just crazy the high altitude the travel the roads and, and then them harvesting those sheep was, was just unreal the Marco Polo the the just huge twisters and they were after just some world class rams but um, it was so fun to listen to I'm gonna listen back to it again. Um, and gave me good perspective. Dan Bacar that hunts so many gnarly places and so much public land said it's absolutely the toughest hunt he's ever been on. And so, uh, you know, when he, when he tells me that, like, uh, I can get some insight into their, their experience and insight into to how grueling and how tough that hunt was. So, uh, just an amazing adventure, really fun conversation. Um, again, I've been really eager to share this with you guys. And now, um, what we have is the Beyond the Grid episode of the Marco Polo Sheep is is out where you guys can watch it. Um, so uh, I also can't wait to, to look over the footage as I've seen little clips here and there, but I'm um, going to watch over the whole episode and, and uh, probably watch over it today uh, as, as now it's fresh in my mind. But um, really cool episode. I know I really enjoyed it and I think you guys will too. Um, our sponsor for today's show, uh, our sponsor for today's show is beyond the grid TV. So, um, it's Eastman's internet TV show. And so you can find it on YouTube. Uh, you can find it, uh, through the Eastman's website, but it's called beyond the grid. And I've talked about it before Dan Bacar and Guy Eastman spearhead this project and, and the in internet TV just doesn't have as many constraints as as the typical TV that's on the outdoor channel which is which is good but so they came out with this this internet TV show where they can slow down the kill shot they can show it over multiple times there isn't as many restraints and there's more freedom in the storytelling you don't have to break each one up with a commercial break and then come back and get up to speed again and you can watch it in its entirety. Um, so they're just doing a great job. I know I got Dan a bunch of footage from my caribou hunt, so I think he's going to put together an episode for Beyond the Grid on that, so be on the lookout for that. Um, Dan just put together an awesome episode for this wilderness elk hunt and grizzly bear territory. That was a, a great episode, and now this Marco Polo episode. So they're hitting it out the out of the park with this project, so make sure to go check them out on uh, Beyond the Grid, and uh, make sure to, to watch the footage that goes along with this podcast of this Marco Polo sheep. Um, so so neat to, to share this with everybody. 
again, just such a fun conversation with these guys. This is just a great episode. So um, enjoy. I've been talking long enough. Let's get all these guys on here and get this podcast started. So um, Eastman's Elevated, the Tajikistan Hunt. We've got Guy. We've got Ike. We've got Dan Picard. And then um, me sitting alongside and and, uh, really fun. Here you go. Okay, I'm over here at the Eastman's office. I'm sitting down with uh, Guy Eastman, Ike Eastman, and Dan Picard. Um, so, so really glad to have you guys in here. I've been so interested in your guys' last trip. Um, I pronounce it wrong every time, but uh, Tajikistan? Yep. Uh, what an adventure you guys had there. You it just it right. sounded amazing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> uh, what a trip. Uh, just everything from start to finish. But I guess start with the, the travel of getting there is that's part of the adventure. So you guys took off from here, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from here to Denver to Chicago and then Istanbul and then Dushanbe and then 20 hours in, in a car, you know, a, a pathfinder up in the mountains on some of the roughest roads you've ever seen. Oh, the roads looked insane. Some of the corners <laughs> on there. They had a TV show years ago showing some of those roads and that thing, but I saw one of your posts there, one of your pictures, uh, going around a corner with a big semi coming at you, yeah. and there was barely one lane that could get by that corner, it looked like. It's insane. Yeah, the Premier Highway. I mean, I think it's famous for having you know the crazy cliffs, and everybody drives like they're a race car driver, and... Do they? It's a white knuckle the whole time. Oh yeah, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. That's uh, I, they don't do much road maintenance there. No road maintenance and yeah. aggressive driving too. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I think <laughs> they use their horn in one day more than I've used in my whole life. Okay. And I'm not kidding. That's serious. I mean, you probably 30, 40 times a day. Nah, 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 nah. They're honking at people or rigs yep. or whatever. They use it for multiple things. Probably I'm here and get out of my way. Exactly. It's not an aggressive gesture like it is here. If you use that, your horn that much in Los Angeles, you'd be drive by shot up like Swiss cheese. <laughs> there, it's just how they drive. Yeah. Just, hey, I'm here. I'm coming around you. Look out. Okay, I'll move yep. over. Just give you a yep. beep for a warning as yep. they come around yep. you, huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. or like people in the road. There's oh, and people walking all over the road. You know, as you're going in from start to finish, you think you're in some remote area, but there's a village and there's people on mm-hmm. the road or in the road or something. So, lots of warning. Beep beep beep. Dust oh, yeah. dust caked three year old kids sitting on the curb with huge Chinese semis with probably twenty four twenty eight wheels on them, blasting right past them at forty miles an hour, and the kids just sitting there watching cars go by trucks two feet from them yeah i mean it's it's the craziest <laughs> wow. thing we've ever seen just really. a different world than what we're used to isn't it yeah, yeah. completely huh. completely yeah um that's crazy and so you um i i wouldn't want to drive there in the towns or on those roads when you don't know what the rules of the road are like you got to just sit back and just relax there's no backseat driving there's no any just trust your driver at that point yeah yeah there's no it seems like there's no rules it's a free-for-all, especially in town. Cars honking and all over the place, like what you see on TV, like in Thailand or whatever. The only thing they didn't have there were the, the scooters and the dirt bikes <laughs> buzzing in. That would be a whole different level. Because it was winter, Yeah, they said. We, we asked them about that, but it's because it was cold. So, yeah, so they quit driving the bikes around. But, yeah, it's a complete free-for-all. Oh, so. wow. Their stoplights have a countdown. 
So you're sitting at a red light, and it goes 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, green. Can you imagine what a mess that would create? <laughs> Los Angeles or Denver? Yeah. I mean, this is drag racing. <laughs> yeah. Tajik style. style. Yeah. yeah. Huh. But they, they just live with it. I mean, they do drive on the right side of the road, though, yep. like we do. Yep. Okay. Um, so you guys had a couple days of flights to get out there, and then you guys hopped in this land cruiser. And then what town did you guys leave from or city? Uh, Duchambe. Du- yeah, Duchambe is, is the capital. Capital, yeah. Okay. Yep. Big area of probably the biggest city in Tajik, isn't it? Three or four million people there? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, it's a big city. Airport was packed? No. Um, we got in at four o'clock in the morning, so it wasn't bad, but okay. yeah. I think usually it's pretty busy. It's a small camping. airport, yeah. about the size of buildings, maybe a little bigger. So before you yeah. got to Duchambe, how many hours were you traveling? Before you got to Duchambe, because I know you spent a couple of days there yeah. trying to acclimate time zones and all that stuff. But how many hours in it, basically, transit? Uh, you see, you go from Billings to Denver's hour and a half, Denver to Chicago's two and a half. So probably and then eight hours, no, ten hours to Istanbul, yeah. and then five hours from Istanbul to Duchambe. So yeah, we probably with layovers, it's two days. Isn't yeah. It? Two like days, forty-eight hours. Yeah, yeah. We got on in the morning in Billings and flew to Chicago, and then flew out that night. Flew all night. I mean, you're halfway around the world. Exactly. Duchambe has twelve yeah. hour, twelve time zones different than here. That was so, kind of yeah. cool. We were talking in Inreach, and I'd be talking to you at eight in the morning. You'd be eight o'clock there at night there. I always knew yeah. what time. It was. That yeah, made it easy actually. Yeah, yeah. And I knew when to call out or you know text out too, and. So it actually was pretty simple. Wasn't texting me at 2 in the morning. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Tough to get used to the time difference, 12 hours. Yeah. I mean, coming back was easier for me, actually. And I don't know if just because I was so tired, but coming back left more of an imprint on me than going over, probably because you're less excited, you're sick, and you're tired anyway. But going over, you know, you're excited, and so – the, the whole travel doesn't wear on you as much. But coming back, it's just all back to back to back. And it, four days straight of travel. For four, I mean, I've never been in anything like that before. 20 hours in the vehicles and then hurry up, hop on the planes. We got stuck on in Istanbul for a full day. And so, of course, now, you know, Americans aren't allowed to immigrate to Turkey. And so we were stuck in the airport for 24 hours. Oh. And so we we ran up to the gate and our plane was taxiing taxi. to, oh, to no. the runway and we said now what do we do? I said well the next flight to Chicago is three o'clock tomorrow every day at three, so there you sit did, in the airport till twenty four hours. Did your luggage make it on that plane? No, that's good. It stayed with us, yeah. Because that would have been well, as far as we know. I mean, we don't really know because we never saw it till we got to. Chicago anyway. Yeah, I mean, they tagged it in Duchamp. I, I think it was on our flight. Yeah. In Chicago. Yeah, I think it, – because it, it did come in with us when we actually landed in Chicago. Yeah. Usually in my experience, when you're flying with guns, they make sure the luggage gets on the right plane. Mm-hmm. These, especially foreign airports, they do not want guns just laying around in the mm-hmm. baggage, in the tarmac, anywhere. So, on, honestly, you uh, usually – not don't get your luggage lost a lot of times when you yeah. have guns yeah that's nice perched in foreign to, airports yeah, american airports don't care <laughs> right <laughs> they yeah. throw that stuff around yeah. yeah exactly um yeah you got to be careful with bow cases and gun cases they show up damage or your luggage or uh they're not very gentle with your stuff that's for Ooh. sure you better pack it right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unless you're flying 
foreign airlines, which were awesome. Mm-hmm. They the were. The service yeah. and the food, yeah. and you get on the airplane, and seats are pretty nice. We had exit row seats going over, and they bring you a hot towel. You're, like, wiping down and everything, and they have, like, pillows and blankets and I mean, you don't get any treatment like that in the U.S., I can tell you that. I always see up in the first class them getting towels up there, but they never bring them back to me in coach. Yeah, yeah, never back there. Yeah, we're peons in coach, and they're bringing them back. Oh, man. Hint, diddy, hint, hint, Alaska Airlines. (laughs) (laughs) Take notes on this. (laughs) So uh, you show up there, start cruising in the land cruiser, these sketchy roads, and then how much driving did you have to get to hunting camp or to hunting location, or where did you guys start from there? Well, they break it up in two days. So you drive 12 hours the first day from Duchambe to another town. Then you spend the night there, and then you drive six more hours the next day to camp from that town. So it's 12 and 6. Wow. You guys are tired of traveling by the time you get there, ready to go hunting. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's um, extreme high elevations. And so guys hunting Marco Polo sheep, and then you're going to video the hunt for them, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and then the Ibex too, but you know that didn't pan out. But yeah, mm-hmm. so um, you guys get there, and then how's the hunt start? Um, uh, acclimate okay? Yeah, I mean you, everybody gets there, and we hang out for a day. You know they don't just go trudging off into the mountains immediately. You know, so guys can get acclimated. But everybody goes out and shoots their guns and makes sure everything's on. And usually guns are off. Or they shoot different than what you think, you know, than what you type into your little program before you go. It still shoots, you know, higher than what it says on paper it should shoot. No, four guns there, and not one of them shot yeah. without being adjusted. Oh, wow. That's that, got to be a major. got to be elevation, though, doesn't it? I think that's what it is. Everything's yeah. way higher yeah. than what it should have been. Yep. And, yeah. and like you were saying, Dan, even though they tell you what it should be at – you know, 14,000 feet, uh, you also have to proof it. And oh, the yeah. proof never seems to be quite right. Yeah, you, you don't know unless you go. You just got to go there and test it because, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the equation on the, the app only gets you so far. Oh, well, even those turrets those guys had on those long, rangy gun gadgets, they I don't know if they make a 16,000-foot turret. So yeah. they had, what, 10,000-foot turret? was what he had, but he still had to do trial and error on rocks out to 800 yards or whatever, 1,000 yards to figure out what it really needed to be. So then he walks around the hills the rest of the time with some kind of makeshift mathematical equation in his head that's like, if it's 400 yards, it's half a click above. If it's 700, it's four clicks above. If it's 900, then it's (laughs) seven clicks above, minus one (laughs) click for windage, you know, and – I'd have to have Not my shoes off. Everybody didn't. I mean, <laughs> nobody. And Brian, they said that. They're like, none of these guns will shoot like you guys think. They're like, oh, we'll go shoot one bullet and see, make sure it's on. He's like, no. I've never seen a gun come in here that didn't need some adjustment because you cannot. I mean, the camp's, what, 12,500. There's no way you're not going to simulate that shooting at home. Hmm. I mean, you'd have to, okay, find a shooting range at 12,500 feet in the U.S. They don't, don't exist. So every had to be tweaked. Every gun had to be tweaked. Elevation, Similar. humidity, just travel, for God's mm-hmm. sakes, bouncing around in a rig for 20 hours, that's not good. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, what, 
What a difficult deal because it's this hunt that you've waited your whole lifetime to do and you prepare for it and you shoot your rifle. I mean, I guess you just got to be familiar with it and comfortable with changing your changing everything out when you get there. Um, but that's got to be a mind trip as well as you're going on this hunt that, that you've been dreaming about for so long and you get there and then your rifle isn't shooting right, you know, or you have to adjust things. So what did... Um, uh, what was your effective range out there? Did you have to step back your f- effective range and go, okay, I'm only going to shoot this far or I'm not going to shoot? Yeah, I mean, you can say that, and then you climb a 17,000-foot peak and everything's out the window, so to speak. You but have one chance. They, you know, there was not one gun that didn't have to be adjusted, and there was some significant uh, resistance to guys – wanting their guns messed with even though they were a little off these guys did not want to monkey with their guns they didn't want to move it oh we burned a lot of ammo burned a lot of ammo but they'll tell you those at those sheep the the miss rate is over 50 percent wow and that's a big animal it's not like they're it's not like they're antelope size they're they're big right yeah 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 500 pounds 500-pound sheep. That little is wild. That they say. They, they, I don't know. They've never really weighed them. Not a lot is known about those things. I mean, they don't study them or anything, so they're not really 100% sure mm-hmm. how much they weigh. But I'm guessing it's roughly a little bit south of 500 pounds. So that, that whole thing is like the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it gets really, really complicated in mm-hmm. really, really far away from parts. Yep. 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 How'd your other gear handle out? Like, clothing and backpacks and sleeping bags and hats <laughs> gear gear wise i think we were both wearing everything we brought with us really I mean, at camp it was probably zero every morning and then of course as you go up exponentially it gets colder and so you know it's sixteen thousand. it's probably 15 below with wind is that yep probably about we don't have any thermometers but it's so cold your fingers don't work batteries freeze up you're wearing everything that you have and like Brian Martin, the guy we went with, he's like, yeah, there's really the only thing that makes you comfortable up here was the, the Sitka Blizzard parka in oh, those yeah. pants, too. He Which said, I've put those on and went, when would you ever use this? That's it's like exactly. walking around in a sleeping bag. That's like what that piece of clothing is built for are those zero-degree hunts right. and the pants, too. And, you know, it didn't, I didn't have the pants. I think Brian did, but I had them. I never wore them. I yeah. probably should have, but the, yeah, the coat. There's no way. Nothing else. I, I don't know what. A couple other guys in camp did not have those, and they were really not comfortable at all. Yeah, Brian Martin said there's nothing else out there that will keep you warm. Really? Yeah. As oh. far as heavy duty, and it has you know the wind stopper and everything. Everything, and it durable enough to be oh, rolling yeah. around on the rocks and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's basically. I mean, it's like a raincoat, an insulated raincoat, uh, you know, the, the blizzard parka. And, you know, you got the shell on the outside, and then you're wearing a sleeping bag, basically. So, nice. yeah, I couldn't imagine being there with anything else. And, you know, we were pretty comfortable. but Well, that's a cold hunt, too. Um, there isn't any heat source, right, in your camp. There's no stove. There's Oh, yeah, yeah. We, there, yeah, we stayed. I don't even know what you call it, a house, a cabin. I don't even know what shack. You, yeah, it's a shack, and they've you know renovated it a little bit, and they actually had a a pretty cool you know radiant heat system built in there with a wood stove. Oh wow! And then they had a sauna in there, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and then so they if their stoves are heating the water, and the pipes running through 
and then each room kind of has like a radiator mm-hmm. of the radiant heat and so it was actually pretty effective and they put a a flush toilet in there last year mm-hmm. so it has some pretty good amenities oh, yeah. at least you yeah, can get no, inside yeah. and get warm yeah. somewhere yeah absolutely um, still frigid cold when you're out hunting but at least you can get warm at night somewhere but you guys actually did a a spike camp from there as well yeah um, yes. you did for your sheep is that right yeah yeah okay and so then you had to sleep on the mountain. And I think you were telling me earlier you and Brian slept out, or Brian slept out in a pup tent um, out there at one night. Yeah, I slept in the shack with the or the sheep herder hut, whatever you want to call it, rock and dirt dung hut with, <laughs> with the help because it had a they had a yak or a stove in there. They burn yak dung. Okay. For for heat, but he slept out in the tent. I that was. I was like, uh, no, it was like 15 below that morning when we got up. It was pretty, pretty cold. That's a cold can. Yeah, we didn't have yeah. the bag enough to do it. You know, you bring 15 above. Yeah, he has above. a negative 20 degree Brian expedition did, yeah. bag. Yeah, I've got a 15 above oh, bag. That. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. Not going to work. I, you know, I didn't anticipate spiking out, but you do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. up there yeah and that was the time period i didn't even get a go on that mm-hmm. on the actual kill because that's when i was dealing with hape mm-hmm. so brian's like oh we got to go up this way and i was like you know who's hape <laughs> 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 the, yeah high altitude pulmonary edema which is that altitude sickness yeah yeah wow that's the, crazy yeah. and last you're... levels of altitude sickness yeah there's altitude sickness and then there's altitude hape. sickness death yeah mm-hmm. wow when you're in such good shape and you were hunting all fall long, you know, I, w- I would think you'd fare the best up in that high ele- elevation. But you guys were telling me it's actually the opposite. Uh, the more fit you are, the more problems you have. Right, right. And I, I'm no doctor, but this is what I gathered from past clients, Brian's doctor and the guides is the better shape you're in, the more the altitude is going, going to affect you. If you have low blood pressure and a slow pulse rate the altitude is going to affect you worse than it would somebody else that has maybe high blood pressure and a higher pulse rate. So that's why I eat McDonald's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so for once, you go on a hunt, and all that salt and not working out is going to pay off for you. <laughs> My heart's used to this. Yeah. Well, literally, the guy, you know, he wasn't in great shape. You know, farmer dude, and he didn't work out or anything, high blood pressure, and he never had one problem, never took one pill. No problem. And talking to the guides, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, the guys that train physically and prepare the most for this hunt are the ones that have the problems. And so, like, I'm putting two and two together. And people have to leave all the time, leave their hunt early because of altitude sickness, talking to Brian and Kyrgyzstan and Tajik. Like, because that's your – you have three options to get rid of HAPE. You either take steroids, a steroid for it, um, oxygen therapy – or get below 9,000 feet. Those are your three options to get rid of it. And after three days of, well, actually 24 hours of, of being on Cialis, I was starting to show some. Like smiling Bob Cialis? <laughs> <laughs> like, hi, this is Bob. <laughs> Mr. Grins? If your erection lasts longer than five hours. <laughs> How does that work up there? <laughs> yeah. Poor ghost. It doesn't work. <laughs> well, that's the, the, the good part of it is, 
you feel so crappy, you're so tired, and you're so sick. That it doesn't that's do that. That's the last thing. Yeah. yeah it doesn't. So that's the thing. Cialis, like, people here are like, oh, well, you're on voter pills. Huh? <laughs> like, it's, it makes a good story. But Cialis just dilates your blood vessels. And so your body can – you get better blood flow through your whole body. And then your body can absorb oxygen or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. more efficiently. And so that's, I think, played the biggest role on my body absorbing that lung or the fluid out of my lungs. Because that's, that's the big thing. The last stages of HAPE is, is the fluid in the lungs. And that's the number one killer of mountaineers. Like they go Everest and all, climb these high peaks. Like guys that you push the envelope and you die from HAPE. Water in your lungs and you can't, you can't move. You can't do anything. Is it water? Is it water or is it blood? It's like, well, blood is kind of like the last stage. Like for me, it was just yellow fluid, like frothy. Some of it was frothy Mm. fluid. But if you start getting like pink, that means your lungs are bleeding from like coughing. And and that's what can give you permanent damage. Like, you know, I'm back now. I'm fine now. I don't have any side effects. I shouldn't have any side effects or long-lasting or long-term side effects from it. But if you let it go too long, don't get treatment. You got permanent damage to your lungs or death. <laughs> so yeah, it's nothing you want to mess with. So walk us through the stages. How did how did it start? Yeah, so I mean, the first night you're sleeping up at twelve thousand feet, and your shortness of breath, and yeah, guy, you had the same. We were both waking up, and you everybody know. did. The problem yeah. with it is, is everybody has the same symptoms initially. Yeah. Then your body either adjust to the altitude like all the rest of us did or it goes downhill into this spiral that yours did yeah it all started off the same everybody felt sick yeah you know headache maybe some nausea you're a little bit nauseous and then but like 48 hours into it it was like i was telling you before it's just like a light switch just like a sword through the chest feeling for 12 hours and then my joints super achy nauseous just you feel like crap. You're like, gosh, did I drink something, eat something on yeah. this disaster? You swear or cold's coming. Yeah, or like a flu or, yeah. you know, the plague or something. And then just plague. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to die. I mean, I've never had, it's like you're having a heart attack is what it felt like. Just like I said, sore through the chest. That's the only way I can describe it. Mm. And then like a light switch, pain's gone and the fluid starts building in your lungs. It was like, I'm laying awake all night with the pain and then all of a sudden it goes away. And then all of a sudden, you can feel the rattly of the fluid in your chest. And it wasn't bad at first. And then we went hiking. You know, the fluid started at like 4 a.m. Then we got up early and went off and hiked from 14 to 16,000. And that was really, I don't want to say nail in the coffin. It wasn't, you know, death yet. But, I mean, you saw me hiking. It was probably pathetic watching me try to hike from 14 to 16,000 feet. Yeah. Just couldn't, couldn't do it. You walked 10 little baby steps. And then you're trying not to throw up. You're trying to breathe. It felt like, you know, a belt is just tight around your neck. Just like, <gasps> just like tough time breathing. And then that was the big thing for me. Is and you guys paid to do this. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> paid to get tortured. <laughs> but, no, you get to the top, and I laid on my back and gurgling. You start coughing, roll over, and just coughing up fluid like, like I've never seen anything like that. That's more fluid than you would ever, you know, you get sick, you cough up mucus or whatever. You know, you're coughing up fluid, like a tablespoon of fluid. Oof. Like, yeah, something's not right. 
Oh, that had so, to be so scary too, being yeah. in a foreign country like that and not knowing what's going on with your body, that intense pain, and then the fluid. It had to be really scary up there You as do well. not want to end up in a hospital in a foreign country, let alone a less developed country. You don't, huh? No, that used no. to be developed called the USSR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's as far as it was developed, was the yeah. Soviet Union. You could have rode the camel over to the new hospital in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's probably a U.S. hospital right across the border. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Afghani doctor probably went to Harvard Medical School. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. But luckily, Brian had a past client, doctor friend in uh, Washington DC that I was texting him I got a hold of him quick and he's like well if you're my patient I'd tell you to get your butt down below 9,000 feet that's what you do to get rid of it and logistically it's kind of difficult for where we are at and yeah you know, I told him I was getting better from taking the pills and and uh, he's like well if you want to take a risk like I would you know, hang out for a couple of days, try to get acclimated and, you know, take a Jeep ride up to 14,000 or whatever and don't exert yourself, but just hang out, you know. And so I did that for a day and a half. And then, you know, the last third of the hunt, yeah, I was good to go. You know, like I was saying on Cialis too, you're, you're <laughs> hiking from 14 to 16,000 like you're hiking here, you know, at, at 4,000. 4, yeah, you're, you're just cruising right up. No problem. Cialis is a game changer. It's a game changer. Huh? I, I hear it, guys, uh, <laughs> how it's a perf performance-enhancing drug that a lot of guys are using for uh, ultra running and, and different things. But you could really notice that big of a difference on it, huh? Oh, huge. Huh. It almost, like, not fair. Oh, wow. But I've heard it, like you're saying, athletes mm -hmm. are starting to take it when they come, you know, to higher elevations to compete or whatever out mm -hmm. in Denver. You know, you're a mile high. But it, it, it's a game changer. It really is. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So you're saying Huge. I need a Cialis prescription, huh? Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having problems here. <laughs> yeah. You're only 30. I know. It's rough. <laughs> <laughs> Just be glad you're not in my shoes. Now give me that subs <laughs> prescription. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but. man. How wild. So you weren't able to join in on the hunt. And so, Guy, you had to get started. Um, you only have so many days to try to harvest one of these Marco Polo sheep. Ten days. Ten yeah, days. Ten days. Okay. And right. so you teamed up with brian uh you guys probably looked around there and couldn't find any that were closer had to go move to that spike camp then no we found the sheep the band of rams the day dan got sick yeah we found that's when we found the giant was yep. that day I was. it was uh, a band of 11 rams i think they would drift two a couple of them would drift in and out of the band but it was n between nine and 11 rams depending on the day and we found them i think there was nine of them that day first day yep. and there was it was the biggest band of rams he's ever seen, or like, any of the guides had ever seen in 20 years there. Uh, like, not quantity-wise, but the biggest, the band of all big rams, all giants, so I mean, the almost all. The average score is was way above normal. Yes. They're all gold medal rams. Almost all of them. Yeah. yeah. The, of the 11 rams, there was three that they would not recommend shooting. Three semi-younger rams that maybe someone would would shoot but of the 11 there was eight that were all 56 or bigger wow 56 yeah. inches 56 was probably the smallest of the big eight and then the biggest one of course is that big 64 incher 64 and <laughs> so so for the audience what's what would be a comparison on something they would be they would 
like uh, elk or deer or something. If you equated it to mule deer, you know, the 64-inch ram, you'd be talking like, oh, we're talking like a 300-inch mule deer. Oh. So like sounds a 420 mule out of elk. the realm. We yeah. ended up killing that 64-incher, and he is – he'll be new number 15 or 16 in the world. So there's only 15 bigger rams ever killed, ever bigger than him. So, I mean, that's that's about what you'd have with a three uh, – there's more than – more 300-inch mule deer killed than that. I think there's 28 of them or 29. So oh, wow. So, so fif- you're talking giant. Now you get to the lower end of that, the 56-inchers. 56 56-inch 56 ram is like – Probably like a that's like a two hundred inch deer, two hundred inch yeah. mule deer, like a one ninety bighorn. Yeah, it's all yeah, like the, that upper wo- up to like two hundred five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that three that if you're talking bighorns, that that sixty four inch would be like a two hundred six, two hundred seven bighorn sheep. Jeez. Maybe two, yeah. And then the the smallest ram in there, smallest shooter ram would be you know one ninety. Yeah, well, like yours. Yeah, would be like a 200 inch bighorn. Yep. You think? I yeah, mean, 195, 200. Yeah. It's huge ram. Wow, it yeah. is a yeah. huge it's, it's ram. Gold medal, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you, to put it in perspective, can you imagine just going somewhere and you look at 11 <clears throat> bighorn rams in the pre rut and eight of them are over 195? You know, nine of you know, seven of them are over 200. Yeah. It would just be. Especially yeah, when you'd never absurd. seen one before. It's yeah. the twilight yeah, on the hoof, zone. and you go, so, uh, so we never looked yeah. at any other sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, Brian was like, and the guides too, the the local guys were like, this is, we're not, why would we go look somewhere else? No matter what these rams do, we will find them. We have to kill two of the rams out of this bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so. it, it's, um, and, and they're really wary too, and it's wide open terrain up there. <laughs> and, and you guys are hunting 16,000, 17,000 feet for these things. So now that you found them, now it's a matter of trying to make a play and trying to get yourself in range of them. It's the pre-rut, so they're, they're banded up, but they're not with the ewes yet. It's about a week or 10 days before they actually show up with the ewes to mm-hmm. rut. But they're doing their sheep thing, just like our bighorns are kind of smashing heads, kicking each other in the nuts, doing, you know, what bighorns do. And, um, but it's an unseasonably warm there as much as we and complain dry, about no the cold. Snow. It is dry and warm. And so the rams are way higher than normal for that time of year. They were all 14 to 16,000 feet. Yeah. Maybe 15 was probably average. I mean, they're yeah, high. they hung at 15, 15, five the whole yeah. time. And normally they're down like 14 down the valleys. That's why you hunt that time of year. Cause they're a lot lower. And, you you know, a little easier to get to, but uh, they were unseasonably high, and so you have to go after them. You don't have a choice. you gotta, you got to take it to the hunt mm-hmm. if the hunt won't come to you. So off we go, and they are so weary. We The day he got sick when we first saw him, we hiked up there, and we watched him for hours. Just They never moved, just yeah. sitting there on a point, and you cannot let them see you two miles away, though. They're gone. I see ya. It's all wide open. Yep. There's no trees, not even any willows, no sticks. It's just grass, dust, and granite. That's all it is. Lots rocks. of rocks. And it's so it, – the country's so big. Like, you're not going to just get close. Like, you know, in Wyoming, if you can see something, you can probably go kill it. But the country is so big in the premieres that just, be, you know, you see something, and if they're not going to move, there's just no way you're going to get closer. 
you know, you're not going to just go loop around a giant basin. You have to go seven miles. Massive country. So you just sit and wait until yeah, they, they do something. They got to get in a better spot. You know, they'll look yeah. at them and go, well, you know, I know how to get to those rams. The local guides will go, yeah, I know how to kill one of those right there, but it's going to take us two days to get there. Because you see them here, you have to go back that way up a totally different drainage yeah. for seven miles, like Dan said, climb up and peek over the top. You cannot let them see you. And they, it's not rough country. It's part of the problem with it. It's not rough and it's tight. Jagged, it's wide yeah. open and rolling, rolling. And, and up and down, but not straight up. It's not cliffy. So they they can see for miles all the way around them all the time but there's lots of wolves in there so they're they have a lot of predators so they're pretty used to being mm-hmm. cagey man which, really cagey. which moves them around a little bit probably yeah, yeah weather and the wolves yeah so yeah. they'll pick you out moving a couple oh, miles dude. away oh yeah thing that's Unbe- incredible stands in my mind how spooky they are we drove up around the corner in the jeep and you're like way up there and there's a ram bed on the skyline a little tiny white dot at least two miles away we got out and we look at him probably within a minute he got up and moved over the ridge just uncomfortable with being in eyesight of us even though we're just a little speck to him probably just insane <laughs> that's not normal i'm leaving no. yeah. yeah that one at the end there yeah even just, the using lambs cagey run right up a mountain and out of there usually you know our using lambs just look at you like oh that's cool we're not going anywhere yeah yeah. So how? F- so you said seven miles. Um, how fast can you move in that country? It's got to be slow, unbelievably slow, because of lack of oxygen and all the other things. Yeah, that's the big thing. Is you spend all your energy climbing up to the sheep or to a ridge, a couple thousand feet up to sixteen thousand, and it better be somewhat decent and easy for you to navigate around and move up when you're on the ridge. Because if you have to go cover another massive distance it's probably not going to happen just because it zaps your energy just getting there (laughs) and so man that's so wild to hear about it's like uh, climbing everest or climbing some of those well and you guys had twenty thousand foot peaks in the backdrop i see one of your pictures you were showing me um but yeah it has to be so wild where you have to manage your your energy level like that in that high altitude yep Yep, and it's not nothing like, you know, what we're used to, bow hunting. You hike up somewhere, and you see something. You probably go run over there and kill it, but you can't – you don't have the energy there to do that, number one, and it's such big country. It's just not happening. Hmm. Uh, no other explanation. It's just not so going to happen. I, wow. I heard you guys talk about that you've met some people, uh, I think it was in the airport system on the way home, that – that were Marco Polo sheep hunting, but didn't have that type of experience. Mm-hmm. It was a lot less uh, extreme. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different camps. And where we were, it's it's a Marco Polo camp. You go there to kill giant Marco Polo, some of the biggest in Tajikistan or in the Middle East that are huntable. I mean, there's Marco Polo in Afghanistan and China, I think, that aren't huntable. So if you want to kill a giant ram, this is kind of the camp that you go to. And... You know, Brian has other Ibex camps, other Marco Polo and Ibex combo camps in Kyrgyzstan and in Tajik. This is solely, you know, what I got out of it, too, is a great Marco Polo camp. And that's Brian Martin. Yeah, Brian Mountain, or Asian Mountain Outfitters. Yeah. 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 So there's definitely a lot of options for somebody if, if they wanted to go to different 
you know, depending on what experience they want. Cause like the guys that we ran into, they're driving around, they called it like a Wyoming antelope hunt. They drive around and shoot sheep from the, the, the rig. You don't get any, very many giants, but you get your classic, you know, curl and a half Marco Polo mm-hmm. from, from the, the which Jeep. is like a 50 inch. 50, what they say, 52? Uh, they should, they should, yeah, 52 to, they, and they have killed 60s doing that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they do, but they're on a, a different spot that's a high plateau where the sheep winter and rut, and they were rutting a little earlier, so they see a lot of sheep. Like they're seeing High numbers, 1,000. 1,000 sheep? Yeah. Wow. We saw Jeez. a few hundred, yeah. but we didn't look a lot because we just honed in on that one band of rams yeah. and didn't really care about anything else. But there are places you can go where it's an easier hunt. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all tough in the elevation, but not as physically strenuous as there. They, yeah. the, they kind of the locals kind of call that the walkabout area because you've got to walk. It's all walking mm-hmm. there, uh, but it has a potential for big rams if guys can walk. But it's a true mountain hunt. It's not, you know, shoot them from the the jeep type mm-hmm. hunt. Now maybe in December it could be if yeah. they're down in the bottoms. Yeah. Because according to what they said, they get they do get dumb like our sheep when they rut yeah. in the heat of the rut, which is about now, mm-hmm. December, middle of December. Yeah, yeah. But the the temperatures then are really brutal, and you you can't get around. If you get too much snow, then you know they can't get around. Heck, you can't even get to camp if there's too much snow. Yeah. They're saying the Premier Highway. I mean, it yeah. gets snowed in or whatever. You might not even get there. Yeah. So going that time of year is risky in its own way. Everything's risky there. Yeah. Tough logistics. Like Brian says, he, he said, of course, he didn't tell you this when he's trying to book you as a hunter. He tells you after. <laughs> after <laughs> once you get there in camp, he's like, oh, Marco Polo sheep hunting here? It's like war. Like, like <laughs> war? Like, what do you mean? We're on the border of Afghanistan? Are we going to have to shoot our way out of here or what? <laughs> yeah, you guys are no. 400 yards from the Afghanistan border. Uh, he's like, you're just, everything is against you. It's yep. war against the mountains. It's war against elevation. It's war against the sheep. It's war against the help. It's war against the language barrier. It's war against the weather. He said, nothing yep. here wants you here. Sheep don't want you here. The weather doesn't want you here. Your body doesn't want to be here. And you have to buck the odds. But you learn a lot about, a lot about yourself yep. going there. I would tell yep. you that. Unlike almost any other place I've been. It's, well, it sounds to me like it's like it's the serious. most extreme hunting possible it, it, it you is, can't yeah. you can, yeah. sure you can go on a polar bear hunt where it's colder but there's no elevation you can go you know you can go uh el- to colorado on a mule deer hunt but you don't have the weather i mean it's it is every single thing you could stack against you Absolutely. is stacked against you uh, the, you don't unlike any other species with exception maybe polar bear i've never met someone who's so into Marco Polo hunting that they go all the time and have uh, even a half a dozen of them. It just doesn't happen. Hmm. Like Dad's buddy Rich Pierce said, you want to get your sheep and get the F out of there. That's how that country works, and that's how it's a bucket list hunt, but it is so uncomfortable that you don't want to go Gee, I hope I come back next year. I mean, there's one guy in camp didn't get a ram. That poor sucker has to come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Everyone felt bad for him. Not the fact he didn't get a sheep. Yeah. The fact he has to come back and do it all over again. But he was excited. But he, I mean, he passed up is, a lot of rams. Yeah, too, he though. did. He did. He he had his chances. But it just it is like no other hunt I've I've ever been on, and it is it, every part of it 
is difficult difficult but it's it's rewarding once you're done but Mm -hmm. at the time you go what the heck did i do every part of your subconscious is saying let's get out of here call it so it's it's a true mental test oh like you do anything here now like for a mental test nothing compares so you're saying you guys reset your perspective bar yeah Yeah. i've seen a big deal this ain't it (laughs) exactly if you want it yeah that's a good way of putting it because it's, be sitting on the mountain in a in a lightning storm and go, eh, you know this is dangerous, but I, this is nothing. My belly's full. I'm not sick. We're good. Exactly. It was so. I I just got tired of being cold. You just get. I mean, you can live through it. Must you know power through it. Whatever. Tough your way through it. But after ten days, I just got tired of being cold mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. Yep. I mean, your hands are just always cold. Your your nose runs nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. You, you're always dehydrated because your water freezes solid. You're always hungry because you can't eat. You don't have much of an appetite, but you're still hungry because elevation. You feel sick to your stomach. Everybody gets sick. Everybody gets sick. <laughs> you know, the water there is just uh, – there's stuff in the water over there. I'm sure they don't even – haven't even identified <laughs> Everybody yeah, I know true. that went over there was sick. Duh. Oh, that is crazy. I mean, I dropped 21 pounds. You dropped 10. T- 21. Oh, which wow. 10 pounds off of all, all 10, season. 10, yeah, 10 pounds off you is, yeah. I, I lost another four or five, but I, I didn't yeah, I don't have anything. I would probably lose muscle over there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have 10 pounds to lose. No. I probably had 20 pounds to lose. But <laughs> I did lose it. But, I mean, we ran into one of our a friend, a, a Jim from – Jim, Jim Wyndham, yeah. And I didn't even know he was over there, and I didn't recognize him. He walked right up to me, and I did not recognize him. And he he lost – oh, he had lost way more than me. 30 or something. Uh, we'd, been his eyes sick. were all sunk in, a beard. He's just a skeleton of himself. And he'd been sick twice. He got sick one round there when he first got there, took some pills, got rid of it, then got it again before he left. So, I mean, it's just – it's brutal. What brutal an extreme place. environment. Yeah. Uh, how is the food? Do you guys bring your own food or you eat there? Mix? I don't ever care to have Tajik food again in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, some people like it. Two of the, one of the guys who was with us liked it, but he's from California. I don't <laughs> I, I mean, I... We brought a lot of supplemental stuff. Oh, th- I think that drove him crazy because I had so much food with me. Yeah. I had a bag of food for every single day. Yeah. So I didn't have to eat that much of their food, but... Their food was, I mean, the first time you eat it, well, that's different. It's kind of good. After it two weeks of eating you. it, you're like, come on, guys. It wears on you. You yeah. got to bring supplemental stuff if you want to keep your energy up. Some of the stuff was okay. I eat pretty much anything, and it was okay. You know, but I'm sure glad that he was like, here, bring this stuff. Like, he kind of told me on what to bring and what he was bringing, and so we kind of planned that a little bit, and I'm so glad we did. Jerky, tuna fish, granola yep. bars, pop tarts, yep. things like that. But they, I mean, yeah, Lots and, and of jerky. their foods, it's it, it's, it's I'm sure different. It's different. Yeah, it's just like rice with stew over it, kind of thing, and difference. Yeah, seasoning, and it probably not giving it a fair shake because like you're sick the whole time. Like for yeah. me with the altitude, it tastes good anyway. The sick stomach. I didn't want to eat. That was another thing with hape is you lose your appetite. So I didn't eat for like two days, and I got really shaky, and so like nothing ever tasted good anyway. Mm-hmm. So that probably didn't help. Yeah. So and you eat it when you first get there. 
that's the other thing before you get sick and so then when you're sick all you do is think about that food you ate mm-hmm. and then they feed you more and more and more of it and you're just like Ugh. yeah it, it was uh, i didn't i didn't care for the food too much <laughs> <That is so laughs> but good. i'm pretty <laughs> picky eater you know but i don't like mountain houses either which they ate some of those when we spiked out and i that's pr- the I don't like those. I'm like, I don't need that much sodium at this elevation. <laughs> I don't either. I don't yeah. need those either. Yeah. <laughs> so I had tuna fish. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So it finally came together on your ram. What a beautiful ram. And so you guys harvested uh, ram for Brian, uh, which was that giant one you were talking about. Man, was that thing a curler. So heavy and so curled. But yours was a beautiful ram. Um, so much mass. And I, the curl goes way down by the jaw, like so low like twice as low as a bighorn ram would go and you said 58 yeah. inches was your ram no 56 56, 56? almost 57 that's um, a but beautiful really ram. really really heavy yeah really heavy and we saw him the first morning too in the sunlight um the problem is when you have one as big as brian's in there you don't everything else looks small compared to that because it's so gigantic but there was another 60 incher in there wow like they will they will see one 60 inch ram a year and to see a band that has two 60 pluses in it is almost unheard of. They had to; those rams had to have come across the river from Afghanistan or something. I mean, you know, they, those sheep don't live real long to start with. I mean, ten. They've never killed a ram over ten. All those big rams are usually eight, nine, ten, and uh, to have that big of a bunch of them all the same age, nine, ten years old, pretty, pretty rare. That's actually pretty amazing that ten years old, and you look at 60 inches of 60 inches of horn. That's a lot of growth in one year. That must be some amazing groceries up there. Yeah, they grow six inches a year, or, you know, one of our rams will grow three and a half, so twice. They'll grow double a year in a year than ours. Uh, The the protein must be crazy because there's not a lot of feed. You look around and go, what are these things eating? That's exactly what came to my mind is what you said because you're up there, and there's not – there's hardly anything up there. There's, like, a couple little shrubs here and there. But for Rock. an animal to put on that much horn with that little food. And be 500 pounds. And be 500 pounds. I just, it blows my mind, honestly. They have sagebrush there, just like we do. Yeah. And it grows at most Stunted. three to four inches tall. Yeah, a little Three to tiny. four inches. So oh, you, that's perfect for sagebrush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Manageable, yeah. yeah. So you wonder, you wonder what their summer range looks like. It must just be knee-deep grass. And then it burns off, and it's got to. Do be. they graze it? Oh, oh are there freaking? So it's like Mongolia; they uh, graze everything. Yeah. Everything. So the sheep and ibex are stuck with finding the feed that the goats, sheep, and yaks can't get to. Yep. Yep. So not much I mean, left. Not much left, especially on the winter range. The winter gets a lot of them. Hmm. Yeah. Man, the number of dead rams. Oh, just you just every basin, big old horn laying there on the ground. Oh, really? Dead rat. A winter kill or something. You pull into some of those sheep camps. Of course, there's no one there now because it's winter, but there would be piles of ibex and sheep horns the size of a VW bug. Oh, Just piled. So like two or three of them in there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A couple hundred. There's so many horns. These guys use the horns to build their fences with intermingled in the rock. You'll see this on Beyond the Grid. That's, I mean, there's horns everywhere. You can't bring them back. You know, you can't bring them back to states. But like you say, piles of horns. They they incorporate them into their fences, their rock fences. They pile them at every sheep herder's hut. 
There's a so, pile of ibex and sheep. So this thing's going to be on beyond the grid, right? Is it? Is it? I don't. I can't imagine how you're going to nick this down to a ten minute episode. Is it going to be like a series? We're just going to have a beyond the grid series, <laughs> Tajikistan <laughs> one through twelve, the twelve part series. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like Lonesome the Lonesome Dove. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to get it cut down. We will. It'll just be all the best, the best stuff, which will be yeah. great for people watching. That's what we want to put together. But Two big ram kills. Thank goodness we didn't yeah. get any Ibex. We don't have to worry about incorporating that in. <laughs> 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 Said no one ever. <laughs> so it'll just be sheep, but it's there's a lot of, a lot of material there yeah. for sure to cut down. Definitely a photogenic culture environment camp everything you was wanted to take a picture of or take video of yeah it's a world's different so that was fun for me yeah and he like we're out there shooting at the range and he's like oh look at this and he pulls up a freaking soviet uniform button so there's so much history there oh wow and so i don't know he was probably geeking out i was geeking out like oh this is sweet i would go you know looking around for stuff you're looking for for one for two days and couldn't find another yeah nobody could find another soviet button but (laughs) Yeah, so it's tons of cool stuff there. Yeah. That's going to make a really cool episode, yeah. and you're going to do a pretty quick turnaround on that too, right? Yeah, January 15th, or turnaround. What today is the 15th, so about a month. Yep. We want to get it whipped out and, yeah, have it ready. So this will be the, the first one for 2018. Yeah, so it's and the footage is incredible of the sheep. We have a lot of live footage that's that's I've never seen there's not a lot of great footage of Marco Polo sheep. Most of it is there's one running, a band of rams running up a hill and bang, 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 down goes one kind of stuff. Uh, but we have a lot of behavioral, just sheep being sheep and button heads and and doing sheep things and up pretty up close footage. I mean, it's it's pretty, it's going to be pretty incredible. Do you have any footage of up goes the sheep and bang, 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 and they all run off? Oh yeah, yeah. We have just some a of little that bit. Too. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. a little bit. We've got got a lot of that. Yeah. Is there, what was that. the distance you guys were shooting over there? Oh, there was yeah. guys over there that were shooting up to a thousand yards. Oh my gosh, that's the thing. Like, you know, we didn't. The manual says, "Oh, you need to be proficient to 500." It's like, no, they want you to shoot to 800, and you better be ready to shoot to 800. But, you know, you could shoot a ram at 179 yards. Yeah, I killed mine at 207. They were closer than that at one point. They were like 85 yards. Brian shot his at 426. That's 64-incher? Yeah. Yep. Wow, and you got to so be able to shoot. You, yeah. Yeah. And with your gear not all dialed in at a higher elevation. Gosh, that's tough. High degree of difficulty on that hunt. Absolutely. It'll make you look like an amateur, dude. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like Brian said, he said, that, you know, best, best hunters in the world come into these camps, and it's a – more than a 50-50 chance they'll miss yep. on the first shot. It's just – it. you just – every time you go on a stock, you're just thinking, oh, my gosh, I hope I don't have to shoot right now because you can just feel your heart rate high, you're out of breath, everything. You know, last thing you want to do is try to lay down and, and make a shot. But you just have to. You know, it's 17,000 feet. you got to lay down and calm yourself as much as possible and make a – make a good shot there's a lot of motivation to do it because you don't want to go do it again tomorrow if you don't have to yeah you just want it to end at some point you're like i hope <laughs> i hit this ram so this can all be over and i don't have to go chase them again because every time you miss them they go deeper and further yeah. into the mountains yep oh, that is it's harder and harder 
What, or higher and higher. Yeah. What an experience, you guys. I can't wait to watch the footage and watch the film when it comes out. Um, like you say, there just isn't much out there that you can watch on Marco Polo sheep and in that environment. Yep. Um, that is just crazy. What an experience you guys had over there. So going back next year, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you, I'm going to take a break from it for a little while. I'm going to save up for a taxidermy bill probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's going to be really cool. Yeah, what a beautiful sheep. Yeah, congratulations, guys, on the experience and on the hunt. And uh, How cool. Uh, thanks for sharing with me, and I can't wait to watch the footage. Absolutely. Perfect. It's our pleasure. Had a good time. All right, All right guys, that's a wrap. Um, again, just such a fun conversation, such a wild adventure they had for those Marco Polo sheep. Um, so crazy to, to hear the stories and how it all went down and, and just the – Oh, I say trials and tribulations too much, but um, it, it's uh, their trials and tribulations they went through on that hunt were just amazing. So uh, really fun as I just I love adventure hunting. And so um, that one just speaks to my soul and, and uh, fun to the, hear those guys so fresh after the hunt where it's still fresh in their minds and the, the experience is still right there. So um, can't thank those guys enough for for being on and, and uh, sharing everything with with me and with us and. Uh, our audience so um, really cool uh, sponsor for today's show was beyond the grid tv so again that's eastman's internet tv show uh, make sure to check it out we're putting a ton of effort into this and and really trying to get some some good episodes uh, we can we can really tell the story in its entirety and um, i think this thing is only going to grow from here and and only going to get better um, so, uh, make sure to check that out beyond the grand, find it at, uh, YouTube or find it on, um, I'm sure you can get a link or find it through the Eastman's website there. And, uh, with that, let's wrap this thing up. Um, I'm hitting the road again, going to make a steelhead trip over to the Olympic Peninsula, which is the coast of Washington, the farthest, uh, Northwest tip, uh, of the lower 48. Um, it's not a hunting trip, but, uh, there isn't much I can hunt right now. And, I just love steelhead fishing. I grew up doing it in uh, western Washington where I grew up there. And, and then as I moved to Montana, I kind of was able to improve my skill set at, at you know everything uh, that has to do with fishing just because we have so much quality trout water where you just learn the, you, you learn the details or you, you learn um, – how to read water better. You, you learn where the fish want to be and, and uh, where they sit. And then you learn the bugs better and how to be more efficient with your weight. So anyways, I know this isn't a fishing podcast, but this is what's on my mind right now. So um, I learned a lot in Montana. And so now when I get to go back to the, to the Washington coast and use all this knowledge that I've gained over here and then fish for um, just the, the wildest fish out there, like these sea run rainbow trout called steelhead. And, and these steelhead are so close to the salt, you know, they're right out of the ocean. You're within 15 miles anywhere you are, and you're in this coastal rainforest. And then, you know, some of the water out there is just this glacial fed teal blue color. And then, you know, the fish you catch are so iridescent and so bright, just hardly any color to them. And uh, they fight so freaking hard. <laughs> like they, you hook one and it is an absolute rodeo. I mean, you're lucky if you catch half your fish, but they're acrobatic, just absolutely full of fight, scream on your reel. Um, they're just so much fun. So we like to take our fly rods. I got a group of buddies out there. Uh, I actually got one of my good buddies that I'm staying with. I'm going to try to talk him into being on the podcast. Uh, his name's Eric Polson, and um, gosh, I started hunting with him like 
him and a, and another one of our bu- uh, buddies, uh, Brian. Like I, they were older than me by about ten years or so. And when I was in my young twenties, they they kind of took me under their wing and they just showed me this extreme way to hunt for for elk, where they just absolute pushed the limits. And and I was able to, you know, I was able to tag along with them or able to be hunting partners with them. And I I learned so much from these guys. And and um, you know, it's part of the reason I'm the hunter I am today was was just this experience. I got in my early 20s going with these guys that were so hardcore and still to this day Eric's one of the best elk hunters I know he uh he doesn't really like to hunt anything else but elk he just loves bulls and so he goes really hard at it um and and I really want to get him on the podcast but uh anyways get down there um have some fun try to catch some steelhead and uh just live life to the fullest we're only here for a short amount of time i'm gonna try to fit in as as many fun things as i can while still taking care of my responsibilities so um that's kind of my mission statement so um i'm psyched i uh i'm still running by the seat of my pants i'm just trying to take care of everything with the podcast and the business and so i haven't even started packing but i i'll throw my stuff together throw it in the truck and then take off tonight and be down there for a week or so so uh be looking on my social media for um some fish posts hopefully um i can find them they call them the fish of a thousand casts and sometimes they can be really tough to find in these river systems where you can go days without even hooking a fish but you just keep believing there's just these bright chrome steelhead running up this river and all you got to do is just tie into one for the fight of your life so um I'm super psyched. Hopefully uh, be able to catch some steelhead and have a good trip. So um, thanks, you guys, for the support. I got a bunch of messages on that last solo episode. I'm absolutely humbled that you guys will listen to me talk for two hours about backcountry hunting or, or uh, backpack hunting. Um, and, and and I'm humbled that you guys in, enjoy to listen to it and get something out of it and, and just a, a bunch of comments and positive feedback. And we're just growing this community. I did this podcast the other day with uh, Gabe. It's all about setting up your hunting bow from scratch and we got a little technical on it but there's some really good information but at the end he's just saying that he's got so much from this community of Eastman's Elevated and how he just wants to give back to it by sharing his knowledge and uh man I just that is that is so cool this um this community that we're building where we're helping each other out. I also had another guy reach out and heard about my water filtration system. And he has these drops that he's been using and these drops don't add any flavor to your water. I can't remember if it's alkaline or what it is. I haven't got it yet, but he reached out and wanted my address and wanted to send me some. And it, it's a great lightweight option for water purification. And so, you know, I'm always learning from you guys as well. And, um, I think that's the cool thing. Um, you know, everybody's willing to offer up, you know, whatever they have to offer. And that's me included, too. I always try to get back to you guys, try to encourage you and try to answer any of your questions to the best of my ability. And and also just an- answer them honestly, you know, so you guys can can get something from it. But um, I've been blabbering on too long. I better uh, I better finish this podcast up and, and uh, get it out to you guys so you guys can listen to it in its entirety. And, and just again, really fun episode. Thanks to the Eastman's for everything they do for the podcast and and sitting down and letting me record and, and believing in me. Um, I, I just can't thank them enough and can't thank you guys enough. So um, keep on working hard towards your goal. Got trip on my last word. How is that? Uh, keep working hard towards your goals and uh, hunting season's right around the corner and, and uh, uh, have as much fun as you can on this life. And, and we're, um, gosh, I, I'm blabbering on. Shut this thing down. That's the end of the podcast. That's it. <laughs>